here in just a moment. Obviously, this is Palm Sunday, and it's a day when Jesus entered Jerusalem, and we're going to be talking about that here in a moment. You know, Jesus enters Jerusalem humbly and yet royal at the same time. He enters Jerusalem in humility, and yet he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So my theme today is going to be that our Savior enters Jerusalem, and the application is simple. Worship him as Savior. We see that Jesus, our Savior, enters Jerusalem, and the application, worship him as Savior. We don't see it in Mark's gospel. We see it in Luke's gospel. In Mark's gospel, everything is brief and to the point. Mark being the shortest of the four gospels, everything is brief and to the point. But in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, towards the end of the chapter, it says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19, we call it the road to Jerusalem. Jesus is on the road traveling and teaching and preaching, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 19 would be Luke's account of when he enters Jerusalem. When he enters Jerusalem. So he's entering Jerusalem. By the way, in Luke's gospel, it's really neat because during the road to Jerusalem, there are uh, multiple parables, ten of which are specific to Luke's gospel. And these parables actually happen in Samaria. He, Jesus went to Samaria, and if you know anything about that, this is just a side note. There's no extra charge for this. If you know anything about Samaria, the Samaritans, the Jewish Jerusalem Jews and the Samaritan Jewish people had intense hatred and rivalry between each other. They really didn't like each other. So it's significant that Jesus went there to the outcast, went to Samaria as he was making his way to Jerusalem. So now he's entering Jerusalem. And that brings us to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. So I hope you're there right now. If you're not, please continue turning there because we're going to talk about this passage. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. So let me read that for you. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he, being Jesus, sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you. And immediately, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately, he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna! In the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. We're going to stop there for today. So I know that this is a very familiar story to many, most, maybe even near all of you, a very familiar story. And I encourage you to look at it with fresh eyes. Look at it like you've never read it before. You know, when we open our Bibles, sometimes we get so familiar we don't notice certain details. 
But it's important to try to read the Bible as a child, noticing every little detail, noticing different things. I don't know if you noticed, even as I just read that passage, immediately was used twice. Something specific to Mark's gospel is how quick things happen throughout Mark's gospel. The other thing sometimes we do too often is we read the Bible uh, by chapters. And the chapters weren't in the original text. They weren't there till the 13th, 14th century. Actually, the chapters and verses, some of them were even added by a certain man as he was riding on horseback. So some of them don't fit right. And, you know, Mark's gospel is made to be read as one complete unit. And sometimes we read some of these works as one complete unit. We notice things a little bit different. And maybe that would interest you this week to go home and read Mark's gospel all in one sitting. It won't take that long. It would probably take about an hour. And see what the Lord reveals to you. Something you could do during Holy Week. Read it as a child. Notice different things. I just learned yesterday about this actual time. You know, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Now we know... Most all of us know, we probably all know, Jesus is entering Jerusalem to die. He's entering Jerusalem to be crucified on what we call Good Friday, only to rise again on the following Sunday morning. But interestingly enough, and I just learned this yesterday, on the Sunday, Palm Sunday, when he was entering Jerusalem, it was the same day, they would have been choosing the lambs for the slaughter of the Passover. So the same exact day when they're choosing the lambs for the slaughter of the Passover, Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb, is entering Jerusalem. I like how John MacArthur sets up this passage. Let me read from something which he wrote. He says, this week begins with his arrival in Jerusalem. His meaning Jesus. This week begins with Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. The year is 30 A.D. 30 A.D. by the best chronology. The month is the first Jewish month, which is Nisan, or Nisan. And the arrival is on the 10th, and the crucifixion is on the 14th. And that all matters because God has established a very firm timetable. It's very interesting. Because of Passover, we know exactly the timetable of when this is going on. Importantly, it is the Passover week of that year. And Friday will be the day when tens of thousands of Passover lambs will be slain, none of which can take away anyone's sin. However, on this Passover, there will be one sacrifice made for sin that will take away the sins of all who have ever believed through all of human history, and it will be the sacrifice of the true lamb. Isn't that interesting? You know, we have the Passover, we have the slaughter of tens of thousands of lambs, and none of them can take away anyone's sins. But on this particular Passover, we have the perfect Passover lamb being Jesus, who will take away our sins when we believe in him. John MacArthur continues, This is neither the heavenly coronation of Christ, nor is it the earthly coronation of Christ. It is not a coronation of Christ at all. It is a mock coronation. It is a false coronation. It is a fraud. There are no formalities here in this coronation. There are no dignities. There's no regalia. There's no fanfare. This really is very similar to Jesus' birth. In his birth, his mother arrives in Bethlehem in humble obscurity, riding on a donkey. Here, he arrives in Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. Yes, he is the true king of kings, 
Lord of Lords, Son of Man, Son of God, Messiah, Savior. And no monarch in all human history remotely compares to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is none so magnificent, none so powerful or so wise or sovereign or just or pure and holy. And all the elite and all the monarchs of all human history, collectively together, stacked on top of each other, would not go high enough to touch the hem of his all-glorious garment. This is a true king, but this is no coronation. It's an interesting way of putting it. You know, the people are waiting for a Messiah to come, and they're waiting for this Messiah to overthrow Rome. They didn't know how God's plan was going to work out. As we look at this passage, we notice where Jesus was coming from, coming from Bethphage, entering Jerusalem. We can notice that in the first few verses, Jesus' disciples obeyed him and went and got the colt. Then we see the parade in the following verses. It's, it's very much like a parade in the following verses as Jesus enters Jerusalem and the people are on the sides of him cheering him on. Before we get there, though, it is important to make note that in this gospel... Jesus' divinity is called a messianic secret. In Mark's gospel, Jesus' divinity is called the messianic secret. Many times people would notice that he's the Messiah, and he would tell them to go and tell no one. An example of this is Mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. Mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. Peter had confessed Jesus as the Messiah, and Jesus told Peter not to tell anyone about it. The messianic secret. Another example is Mark chapter 1, verses 43 through 45. Jesus heals someone, and Jesus tells him not to tell anyone. However, in this case, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, Jesus allows himself to be worshipped. As he enters Jerusalem, he allows himself to be worshipped. He allows himself to be known as the king. Jesus is the authentic king. He is the true king. He is no counterfeit. He is not a fraud. When I was 20 years old, I was looking for a car. Didn't need one, but I was looking for one. It's a mistake, but 20-year-olds do that stuff, and 38-year-olds as well. So I was at a dealership, and my dad showed up, and I thought, this is great. My dad's here. Maybe he'll be willing to co-sign for a loan or something like that for me. I didn't know how he realized I was at a car dealership, but he wasn't there for me. He was there because a few weeks before that, my older brother who was 22 or so at the time, had bought a car himself. And my older brother bought a car, and when he got the loan for the car, he traded in his old car, and he gave them a fake title. Now, he didn't know it was fake, and what's funny is they didn't know it was fake either. Because what had happened was, my dad and mom helped us buy cars, and we had to make them payments. Every month, we had a statement given to us, and we had to give them a car payment. And when my brother, my older brother, turned 21, my dad, as part of his 21st birthday gift, declared the debt paid in full. And my dad gave him a copy. It wasn't a Xerox copy. He made a little title on his computer with some print shop type thing. And he gave him this title, and he kept the actual title to the car in their safe. What's funny is when my older brother turned in the title, this fake title, the car dealership did not realize it was fake. So a few weeks later, my dad had to go bring them the real title. The title was a fake. There are a lot of fake messiahs. In fact, by this time in Jewish history, there had already been fake messiahs. But Jesus is authentic. Jesus is the genuine messiah. Jesus is the real messiah. Jesus is the true king, and he still is. 
He is still the true King of kings and Lord of lords. He is still the only Messiah, the true Messiah. The only way for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through Jesus alone. There are people out there all the time who promise eternity and all the answers through the wrong ways. Just watch politicians. You know, we can see all kinds of things that make it seem like there's another way to hope, another way to happiness, another way to salvation, another way to eternal life. But it's only through Jesus. All the others are just like these fake automobile titles. And what's unfortunate and what's sad and what's funny in a very negative way, funny in a very bad way, is many of us don't get it. Many of us, just like the car dealership, don't realize they're fake. Whether fake messiahs or fake ways of finding hope, fake ways of finding happiness. There's only one way to eternal life and only one way to the fuller life, which is through Jesus, the real deal, the real Messiah, the real King of kings and Lord of lords. So when he came into Jerusalem, the people recognized this, or at least the people seemed to recognize this. They seemed to recognize that the Messiah is entering Jerusalem. Now, some people would say, this same crowd who hailed him as the Messiah would shout crucify him in one week. And that may or may not be true. Some people would say that it was probably a different crowd that shouted crucify him in the following week. It wasn't the same exact people group. They hailed him as king. So in verses 8 through 11, we find the parade. Jesus now makes his, makes his entrance into Jerusalem. Verses 8 through 11. Let me, let me reread those verses. It says, And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they cut from the fields. Those who went in front, those who followed, were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. So Jesus is entering Jerusalem. Jesus is, is entering formally, hailed king of kings. He's making his entrance. And he enters riding in a donkey. Now, many of us have got to think of a better way to enter Jerusalem than on a donkey. You and I both know that we would never probably think of one of high importance riding in on a donkey. Well, to the Jewish people, it's quite royal to ride on a donkey. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, we see David having his son ride into town on his donkey. Now, to the Romans, a donkey was not a big deal. The Romans would not think of anything of royalty seeing Jesus ride in on a donkey. In fact, a number of years ago, I heard that while Jesus was entering Jerusalem riding on a donkey, Pilate of Rome was entering the opposite side, opposite side of Jerusalem riding on a war horse. So here's Jesus, the true king of kings and lord of lords, entering on a donkey. Well, Pilate, who represents all human authority, is riding on a war horse. Here's someone say it's the power of love versus the love of power is the contrast. But Jesus is the real king. There's another reason that Jesus is riding on a donkey. Mark doesn't really tell us why this happened, but Matthew does. Matthew chapter 11, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 21, verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Now we must ask, what prophet? The prophet is Zechariah. 
500 years before this time period, Zechariah, the minor prophet, wrote, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey. Not even a donkey, but even on a colt, the full of a beast of burden, the full of a donkey. Now they put coats on the donkey for Jesus to sit on, and they put coats and leafy or palm branches on the road. Spreading their coats under a person was recognition of royalty. So they're all recognizing that Jesus is royalty. They're all worshiping him as royalty. Again, they had the wrong idea about the way he would gain power. They had the total wrong idea. But this happens during Passover, and Jewish hopes of a savior ran high. So Rome, not wanting any trouble, had extra soldiers around. In fact, the, Jewish, uh, the, the Jerusalem Passover would swell during Passover. It would swell by hundreds of thousands of people. It would just swell. And Rome did not want any trouble. They don't want any trouble in Jerusalem. By what I would call divine appointment, everybody had to pass through Israel for commerce. Most people would not travel directly across the Mediterranean Sea, so they had to cross through Israel. So it was very important for Rome to keep control in Israel and control in Jerusalem. And it's very interesting, by the way, of course, it's, it's prophetic that Jesus' death and resurrection happened during Passover when the population swelled so everybody was able to witness what was going on. All these people from all over the known world were in the area and noticed what was going on. And by the way, another time that that happened was at Pentecost. Pentecost, all these people came to Jerusalem for Pentecost. All these Jewish people came to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Jerusalem would swell, and all these people were there when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. I would call that God's divine appointment. So Rome is trying to keep peace. Rome is trying to keep things calm. And Rome is a little concerned. People in front and all around Jesus are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And this comes from Psalm 118, verse 26. And Hosanna is Hebrew. It means save us. Save us. So as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and they're waiting for the Messiah, and they're all shouting, save us. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us now. The people are ready for a savior. They're worshiping Jesus as king. And now as they shout and worship the Lord, this bothered some. It's not listed in Mark, but John's gospel. John chapter 19, verses 39 through 40 adds. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. I love it. If these are silent, the stones will cry out. Jesus will be worshipped. One way or another. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will be worshipped. All creation is worshipping Jesus as Savior and Lord. The people worshipped him then. The question is, are we worshipping Jesus now? Are we overoccupied with everything else around us that we don't notice? You know, the Romans weren't worried, and they really didn't need to be at that time. For less than a week later, Jesus would hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. Jesus, the king, comes into Jerusalem. The people worship him. The people were eager for a savior. And he is a savior. Just not in the way that they thought. Let's apply this a little bit more. 
you know, we must think about the following. We must also worship Jesus as the true king. Do we worship Jesus as the true king now? He is your king as well. The Romans missed this. The Romans missed this. The Jewish elite missed this. The Sadducees, the Pharisees missed this. The Sadducees wanted to hang on to their own power, and the Pharisees likely in, in a similar way. They missed it. They missed that Jesus, the true king, is entering. They missed it. They miss that the king and savior of the world is making his entrance. And you and I don't have to miss it. We can worship Jesus as the true king today. When you leave this place, leave in worship and leave in excitement. Praise God that he did enter Jerusalem on a donkey. For if he hadn't, we wouldn't be saved. If he hadn't, we'd be stuck on some other way to try to atone for and take care of our sins. You know, during that day and age, they tried to take care of sins by sacrifices, by animal sacrifices. But as Hebrews says, it never worked. Every day, the priest would stand making sacrifices for sins. Time and again, they would stand and make sacrifices for their sins. And these sacrifices would never take away the sins. But Jesus, our Lord and Savior, made his own body as a sacrifice. Once for all, for all time. Saving the whole world. We need to leave in worship and excitement and joy of our salvation in Christ in this way. They were excited about Jesus entering Jerusalem, and we must ask, are we excited about Jesus in our life? Are we excited about that? You know, Jesus' death and resurrection changed world history. I talked about that a number of weeks ago, and it's so true. You know, in 70 AD, the Jerusalem temple was destroyed. The Romans entered. There was an invasion. The temple was destroyed. And so the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, they had to find out, how do, you, how do they practice a Jewish faith without a temple? They couldn't make sacrifices. So later on, a few hundred years later, a certain rabbi made a declaration that they're saved by works. But we know by reading through the Old and New Testament, we can't be saved by works. We're only saved by faith. How can we be saved by works? Nobody's good enough. Nobody's good enough. That's what Galatians teaches. The only one who was able to fulfill the whole law was Jesus. So he went to the cross for our salvation. Think about Jesus' example. Jesus enters in humility and he goes all the way to the cross in humility. We need to live this example. Can we live this example in humility? Author and educator Howard Hendricks was on a plane. He sat in a plane, and the plane was delayed for takeoff. After a long wait, the passengers became more and more irritated. Howard Hendricks noticed how gracious one of the flight attendants was as she spoke with them. After the plane finally took off, he told the flight attendant how amazed he was at her poise and self-control. And he said he wanted to write a letter of commendation for her to the airline. The stewardess replied that she didn't work for the airline. But she worked for Jesus Christ. She said that just before going to work, she and her husband prayed together that she would be a good representative of Christ. Doing it for Christ's sake adds another dimension to submission. You are submitting not just to your employer or husband or parent, but to the Lord because of your love and gratitude for him. Who do we serve? Who do we work for? Jesus enters Jerusalem in total Complete humility. How are we doing with humility? How do we do with that? Praying that we would glorify the Lord and serve the Lord at our, whatever our responsibilities are for the day. Can we, humbly, can we humbly bow to Jesus in this same way? 
Jesus, our King, our Savior, hailed as royalty right now, will humbly go to the cross and win on our behalf. He won by dying. He defeated death. He defeated Satan by dying on the cross. So let me ask you, have you accepted Jesus' free gift of forgiveness for your sins? Have you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? The Bible uses four verbs. There are four verbs. There are four action words to describe our commitment to Christ. There are confess, believe, trust, commit. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We need to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. We need to repent of our sins. We must believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. Believe, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life. Believe, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We got to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. Believe that he is the only Savior. We must trust in him and commit to him. Have you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Are you committed to him? I'm not talking about a one-time thing 80, 40, 30, 20, 10 years ago in your life. I'm saying today. Are you living for Jesus today? Are you trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior today? Are you a follower of Jesus today? Many of us have a struggle. We struggle with being fans versus being followers. We struggle with being fans on the sidelines, and Jesus doesn't call us to be fans of him. He calls us to be followers of him. He calls us to be on the playing field with him. And you know, this Lenten season, this Holy Week, will be a great time for some of you, I'm sure, to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe some of you are convicted right now. The Holy Spirit's working in your life, and you're realizing, I've been a fan. I haven't really been following Jesus. I've been, I've been on the sidelines. I've been watching others follow Jesus. I haven't really been committed to Jesus. Are you committed to Jesus today? Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, anyone can follow me. Anyone. It's a free gift. It's completely free. But Jesus said he or she must deny his or herself. Take up his or her cross and follow. Take up your cross and follow. He's not talking about a pretty piece of jewelry cross. He's talking about the instrument of death. Jesus gives us a completely free gift of salvation. It's free, but it'll cost us our life following him. It really will cost us our life. It's something us Americans don't know very well. We don't understand commitment to Christ in that way. So I ask all of you, examine yourself. Where are you at with the Lord right now? 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul said, examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith. Examine yourself, make sure you're in the faith. I think it's a daily thing. I'm, every day I should ask, am I serving the Lord? Am I following the Lord? What have I done today that I could, could not do except by the Holy Spirit's power within me? Am I living by the Holy Spirit? Am I living for Jesus? Or am I trusting something else? The Bible can be summed up with the acronym that spells gospel. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Maybe the more I say it, you can go share it with somebody else. God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. He created us for a relationship with him. But our sins separate us from God. We see that in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned and when we sin, it creates an eternal separation. Because God is holy and perfect and pure and righteous, we are separated from God. We see through the rest of the Old Testament, Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, that our sins cannot be removed by good works. Good works don't cover sin. They don't take care of it. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. We see that in the Gospels. Jesus went to the cross and he took your sins and my sins and 
everyone sin for all time upon himself. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We see that in the New Testament. And life that's eternal means being with Jesus forever. We see that in Revelation 22.5. But it's not really just about eternal life. It's about life now. I encourage you to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and follow Jesus, not just for your eternal life. Don't look at it just for eternal life. Look at it for now. Jesus will help give you fulfillment and contentment and peace and a fuller life, a complete life now living for him. So where are you at? I encourage you to reflect on that. I'm going to give a closing prayer, and as I do that, I'm going to give a prayer that you could repeat after me if you would like to commit your life to Christ or rededicate your life to Christ or repent. I always hesitate with that because people could think they're saved by the prayer. You're not saved by a sinner's prayer. You're not saved by a prayer. You're saved by what's in your heart, which is just expressed in that prayer. I'll open with a general prayer and then go to this type of sinner's prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you went into Jerusalem. You came into Jerusalem and went to the cross. Lord, I thank you for going to the cross for our salvation. And I thank you, Lord, knowing that death could not contain you. Up from the grave you arose. And because you live, we too will live again. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, death has no sting anymore. You live again. We too will live again. And we have a fuller life in you right now because you sent us the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. You gave us your word. You give us the church. We are so, 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 so eternally blessed in you, Lord Jesus. And we give you the praise and the thanks. But Lord God, I'm believing for sure that some here don't know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them so that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I'm sure that some here have known you in the past, but they really haven't been living for you. They've walked away from you. They backpedal. They walked backwards. Lord God, I pray that today would be the day where they turn their life back over to you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would hear our prayer as we tell you that in a prayer. If you'd like to rededicate your life to Christ now or surrender your life to Jesus, I encourage you to tell him in a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I recognize that my sins separate from me from you. I am repenting of those sins. I believe in you, Jesus, that you went to the cross and died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I commit my life to you. I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Lord God, help us all to live for you. Help us all to follow you. We need the Holy Spirit's help within us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer, please share it with somebody today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. And also, I encourage you, if you have any questions about God or the spiritual life, I would love to talk to you. Never hesitate to give me a call. I encourage you to stand now for the closing hymn.